0: Uh, the wearable market over the last, I don't know, I'd say decade. I'm not real sure how long these things have been around. The idea that you can wear technology, right? I got one on my my wrist. The whole thing started with a uh, life alert, like I've fallen and I can't get up kind of deal. You can wear that. And then it, it went on to Fitbit. Remember Fitbit? The idea, like, got 10,000 steps and some of us hung our arm over the side of the bed at night to, to, to catch up at the end of the day. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And now we got stuff where we can send emails and text messages and even talk to people, right? Like Dick Tracy's on my my wrist here. I, this thing has gone to another level. I I saw this the other day. Um, it, it's Pavlok. I don't know if you you've seen this or not. It, it's it's out there. Some of you might be wearing one. Instead of just a gentle little vibration on your wrist to say, hey, it's time to get up, or you have a text message, it actually sends an electric current into you. Um, that's what it is. Pavlok. It it, it shocks you. So those of us who have a hard time waking up in the morning, it just gives us a little jolt, right? Um, maybe you can set it to go off when you pick the donut up the the second time, zap you a little bit. It's meant for that. I'm not really sure how it worked. I tried to do some research, but me shocking myself doesn't exactly come across as something I want to wear. Now we've seen this before, right? I mean, those of you that have a dog that barks in the middle of the night, you get a shock collar, put that thing on and takes care of business. Or maybe like livestock, we got animals that we don't want them to go out and about, but like shocking us. It's, it's a little crazy, isn't it? When we think about shock, um, I think that is to either stop a behavior or to start a behavior. I mean, that's what they're trying to do with animals and clearly us now, right, is, is if I shock you, then you'll stop doing something or you'll start doing something. Now, God's been doing this for a really long time, except he doesn't use electrical current. He just has this shock factor where he has something really shocking, and it ought to jolt us into either stopping a behavior or starting a behavior. So let me just go through some random ones just from the beginning, like Noah. When God looks at Noah and says, hey, here's the deal. I need you to build this massive boat. We're going to call it an ark. It's going to take you a really long time, like over 100 years to build it. And you're going to float for 150 days. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And oh, yeah, there's going to be a ton of animals on there with you and your family. Like that's shocking, isn't it? There's a ton of shock factor to that. It's it's a movement. Something's got to happen. Or what about Abraham and Sarah? I mean, think about how shocking it was that God promised Abraham and Sarah this child and they had to wait a hundred years. And when Isaac finally comes along, what does God do? He shocks him by saying, I need you to take your son Isaac up on the mountain and raise the knife and sacrifice it. Is that shocking? It's shocking. I mean, Gideon, I need you, Gideon, to raise up an army against the, Midian, the, the Midianites. And he says, I, I, I don't do it. I'm not a warrior. I, I can't do any of that. And it's only going to be 300 of you against thousands of them. Shocking. Or, or Moses to go down to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Shocking. Or Jesus Christ, when he looked at the rich young ruler and he said, hey, you got to sell everything you got to follow me. That's shocking, isn't it? Or what about this? When Jesus gets through breaking the bread and the fish and feeds thousands of people, and then they all say, hey, do it again. Rain some manna down from heaven. Do that thing they did in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, here, this is what we'll do. Why don't you eat my flesh and drink my blood? That's shocking, isn't it? Crazy. The shocking things haven't, haven't stopped. And in our passage today, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter nine, and there's actually two major Shocking things that happen in this passage. And when we see these, these shocking, these difficult, these, these opportunities, most of the time it's going to take courage and resilience to rise to the occasion. It takes courage, it takes resilience. You don't just build an ark for hundreds of years. You don't just go up to a mountain to sacrifice your son. You don't don't go down to Pharaoh, the the mightiest man in the world, and say, Let my people go. Like, it's going, it's going to take courage, it's going to take resilience. Now, when I say the word resilience, most of us just think, I'm only supposed to be resilient when the world throws something at me when the world gives me difficulty, when the world shocks me, when the world tries to crush me, when the world tries to put me in despair. But here's the deal. I think God still does some shocking to us. And it takes resilience and courage to rise to it. So if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 9 is a story where where God is clearly going to, uh, to do some shocking. I'm not going to read the first few verses. If you know the book of Acts, you know the book of Acts is a story of the early church. They called it the way, these people who were fledgling Christ followers. This thing is just getting off the ground. It's just getting started. But the Jews, the religious elite, didn't like all these Christ followers. They didn't like the people that were running around claiming to follow a risen Jesus. And one of those guys, his name is Saul, and Saul is a Jewish religious leader. And he says, here, this is how we're going to squash this movement. This is how we're going to squash Christianity. What we're going to do is we're going to start arresting them. And then we're going to start killing them. And we're going to imprison them. We're going to bully them to quit believing this. The problem is, is when a guy actually comes back to life, that ain't going to work, is it? right? When Jesus Christ claims to die and three days later come back to life, like you're going to follow that man no matter what. And so Saul is out. He's got arrest warrants. He is headed from Jerusalem to a place called Damascus, and he's there to arrest people. He's there to imprison people. He's there to put them on trial and possibly kill them for following Jesus. And on his way, something shocking happens. Jesus appears to him. Bright light. It's crazy. Saul sees Jesus, and Jesus just has a real simple question. He goes, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to my followers? Paul goes blind, or Saul, we know him as Paul. Saul goes blind. He doesn't eat for three days, doesn't drink anything for three days, and they send him on into Damascus. Jesus just says, go there and wait. I'll tell you what's going to happen next. Shocking in and of itself. But our story picks up with somebody else. His name is Ananias. Look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. This is where our guy comes in. He says, there was a disciple in Damascus. Disciple means follower of Jesus. This is a guy that follows Jesus, and he's in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. And the Lord said to him to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Now, when I read that, it may not seem that shocking to you, but this is a very shocking command that Jesus has for Ananias. You remember, where is Saul headed to? He's headed to Damascus. And what is he headed to Damascus with? He's headed with arrest warrants. He's headed there with authority to imprison Christ followers. And what is Ananias? He's a Christ follower. And so God, Jesus, shows up and tells Ananias, I need you to go find Saul, a guy that hates you, a guy that wants to murder you, a guy that wants to squash this movement called Christianity, and I want you to lay your hands on him. That's shocking. This is not the way you, this is not what we signed up for. And when we read this, we we probably don't feel the shock of it because for most of us, especially in the Christian South, here's the reality. You're going to walk right out of those doors here in a moment, and you're going to get in a car, and you're not going to think twice about the fact that you worship Jesus Christ publicly today. And no one else is going to think twice about it. You're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to order and everything's going to be fine. And you can even say, we just went to church. And you can say radius. You can even say I worship Jesus and your life is not in danger. We don't really understand what this is about. We don't get the feeling that here is a guy who is going to be told to lay hands on a man that wants to lay hands on him. That's what we've got. So it's, it's incredibly shocking. As I look at it, In Acts chapter 9, these two shocking events are radically different. You got one where there's a guy murdering Christians. He's out trying to squash the movement. Jesus appears to him and blinds him, doesn't eat for three days and three nights. You got another guy that's being asked to go pray for a man. Both of them are shocking, but both of them are different. Let me just talk about that just for a moment. I think sometimes what we find shocking for us, like God might ask you to do something that would be shocking for you, that's not really shocking or difficult for somebody else. And what might be shocking or difficult for somebody else may not be shocking or difficult for you. I mean, let me give you several examples. As I think about it, we're fixing to ask people, just like Jeremy stood up here, we're asking people to host a block party at the end of July across all of our family of churches. We just want you in the end of July that week, pick a day, get to know your neighbors, grill some hot dogs and hamburgers, and just have a good time getting to know your neighbor. For some of you, you sit back and say, "Sign me up, let's go, I'm game. I can't get enough of people. I already know my neighbor's first name, middle name. I know their hobbies. I know what they like. I give them." Something for Christmas. You think this is the greatest thing ever. There are some of you, when I say that, you are petrified. You're like, I've lived in my neighborhood and I've never met my neighbor. I I, I could not, at the end of the day, I don't have any more words. The last thing I want to do is talk to someone else. What's shocking for one person is not shocking for another. So another part would be like praying, like praying out loud. Think about that. Like for some people, like praying out loud. I pray out loud all the time, man. Let's go. I love praying, man. I'll pray for hours. Some of you are saying, pray out loud? Like, you want me to say my prayers out loud? Shocking, hard. Everybody's got a little bit different spot, right? Some of you might say, man, I want to go over there and serve in kids and let 20 kindergartners climb all over me. Let's go. Some of you are like, that's shocking. I'm out, too difficult, hard, well, woo! right? I mean, the list goes on. We all find our spot. So the reason I tell you that is because what God might be asking you to do, don't measure it by what he might be asking somebody else to do. Just just focus on what he's asking you to do. And it may seem small compared to somebody else's. It might seem big, whatever. Just what is he asking of you? Is it shocking? Is it difficult? Is it hard? There's different levels of it. We get into this and we see what happens next. Verse 13, Ananias is going to respond to this shocking command. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You see this? This is Ananias saying, hey, I'm with you, but hey, just, I mean, apparently you don't know who Saul is. <laughs> like, let me kind of fill it in here for you, right? This is who he is. He's the guy with authority to arrest us. He doesn't think of us, right? He's kind of going through it. I wish we had these kind of verses for all kinds of conversations in Scripture. Most of the time, we don't have them. Like, for example, when God tells Noah to build the boat, you know what the next verse is? It just says he starts building the boat. But you know there was more conversation than that, right? You know there was more conversation. Like, can you go back over the, the animal thing? Like, I mean, like, you, there's some stuff you want to know about, right? I mean, can you imagine here? Like, here, he's actually, he's actually voicing his concern. Like, you have asked me to do something and Ananias is saying, how can this be? How can it be? This is the guy that wants to kill us, and he's got the authority to do so. How can it be? Here's what happens. Sometimes we get shocked, or God asks us to do something crazy, difficult, big, and I think we have three responses, maybe more, but I just boil them down to three. I think one of them is fear. I think one of them is fear. I think we look at it, and we get scared. Now, when I look at this, I think he has a legitimate reason to be scared. He's scared for his life. He's scared to be ripped out of Damascus, sent 100-plus miles south to be in a jail cell in Jerusalem. Clearly, there's fear there. Most of us are scared for different reasons. So maybe God asks you to lead a small group. I'm scared. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Or some of us are scared like, what if I go host a block party and no one shows up? Or, or what if I pray out loud and I say the wrong thing? What if I serve in kids and, and, and they all go crazy on me? Like, we're just scared. We just get scared or fearful. Um, another thing that happens is we just become intimidated. Maybe what God is asking us or this shocking thing he's asking us to step into is so big, it's just intimidating. I mean, think about it. When Goliath stood day after day in front of the armies of Israel and just taunted them every day, they were all intimidated. They ran around saying, there's no one big enough. There's no one strong enough. There's no one who can take care of this guy. We are intimidated until a guy named David shows up, right? Intimidation. I wonder how many of us do the same thing. Like We'll say, I can't lead a small group. I don't know enough. Or I can't host a block party. I'm awkward with my neighbors. Or we just keep going on about how intimidating it is. Third thing I think we do is some of us are just disappointed. We're disappointed that God would ask us to to do a certain thing. I mean, think about Jonah. When Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh, he he was just disappointed. That wasn't his plan. Because Jonah didn't think the people in Nineveh deserved to hear about God's grace. And so what did he do? He said, deuces, I'm going to Tarshish. I don't want nothing to do with it. And then when he finally did go, the end of the story is what? He sat there mad that God would show grace to that place. Crazy, isn't it? That's what we do. So some of us, when we're fearful, we run or we ignore it. We think, surely that wouldn't be about for me. I, I shouldn't do that. Those of us who are intimidated, sometimes we freeze. We just, we just caught standing there, looking at this opportunity, looking at this command, and we just freeze, or others we do what Ann and I did. We just start trying to reason our way out of it. I mean, this is the guy that kills people. This is the guy who's got authority. This is the guy that can arrest me. Like we start coming up with all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. And then finally, when you think about the disappointment part of it, is, is we just, we're just kind of angry. I want to do something different, God. Why did you ask me to do this? So what's he asking you to do? And for you, are you, are you fearful of it? Are you, you know, intimidated by it? Are you disappointed in it? Something to think about, right? So what's God going to tell him? Verse 15, he's going to respond to his concern. But the Lord said to him, Go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I love this. The reason I love this is because Ananias is asking a how question. How can this be? How can I be safe? How is this going to turn out? How, how, how? And what does Jesus give him? Jesus gives him a why. He gives him a why. He doesn't man. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, "Okay, okay, okay, Ananias, let's back this truck up here and let me show you how it went down." He was on his way to Damascus, and I showed up and I blinded. As a matter of fact, I put scales in his eyes. He hadn't eaten in three days and three nights. He's harmless, my man. That, wouldn't that be great if that's what it said? That's not what it says. He says this, I need you to go, and here's the reason why. Because this guy is going to take the gospel to the nations, which is the rest of Acts. I need you to do it because he's going to stand before kings, and he's going to talk about Jesus. I need you to understand the why. The why. Most of us, if we're all, we're really honest, the minute we get asked by God to do something shocking, crazy, or difficult, we start asking how, 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 how. And most of the time, sometimes God will give you the how, but most of the time, he just gives you the why. Why? Because your neighbors need to hear about Jesus. Why? Because a small group needs a leader and they need to be invested in and there needs to be a biblical community there. Why? Because we need to make disciples of our youngest in our church. Why? 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 It's not how. Are you okay with the why? Why? Are you always wanting a how? Will you never do something until you get the how? Man, I'll just tell you from my my standpoint, very rarely have I ever gotten the how. But I always get the why. How are we going to do it? Ananias doesn't get that. He just gets the why. Verse 17. So what's Ananias going to do? So Ananias left and entered the house man, you talk about leaving something short. That leaves it short, doesn't it? He left his house and entered this guy Judas' house where Saul is gonna be. I need more details. Anybody else want some more detail? I need more detail on exactly how that went down. So let me get this straight. He's sitting there. He has this this vision with Jesus. He stands up in the middle of his living room and he says, sweetie, I hope to be back here in a minute hope to be back here soon. What do you mean you hope to be back? Well, I'm going to this guy, Judah's house. Oh yeah. What are you going over there for? Well, there's a guy from Tarsus there. Oh yeah. Who's that? Saul. What? Saul, the guy that's killing people? Yeah, that guy. Can you imagine how that conversation goes down? And then when he finally gets permission to leave the house, He steps outside the front door, and I'm just imagining here. This is Russell's interpretation. He pulls out his phone, and he plugs in 308 Straight Street to get to where he's going to go. And you know when you put it in maps, it gives you at least three or four options? He's taking the long one. Like we always choose the short one. He's choosing the long one. I'm clicking long. Go. It's a nice, easy walk. And what do you think is happening with every step he takes as he gets closer and closer and closer to that house? What do you think's happening? This right here. Is that happening? You've had that before, haven't you? God asked you to do something, have a conversation. Man, you feel prompting in the moment to have a spiritual conversation at work. And all of a sudden this starts happening, doesn't it? And all this stuff starts going through your mind. And what do you think is going through Ananias' mind? I think he's practicing his speech. He's probably like, okay, I'm going to say I'm Ananias. You're expecting me. Now that won't work. Or I mean, what, what's he going to do, right? Shalom. I mean, whatever. He's got to do something. And then my bet is, this is just me, my bet is he's hoping no one answers the door. <laughs> Y'all have had to do that, haven't you? Make a phone call you didn't want to make and you're just hoping it goes straight to voicemail. right? You're going to go talk to the neighbors for a minute, and you're really just hoping they don't show up, and you'll just leave it on the porch and slide away. We want that, don't we? And I got a feeling. I just wonder if Ananias is just like us, just like us. And it says he entered the house. I wish I'd known exactly what happened with that. But let me tell you, I think with every step, I think as he rehearsed what he was going to say, I think as he raised his hand, probably quivering, to knock on that door, I think with every part of it, he was growing spiritually. He was growing. The reason why is because with each one of those motions, he was trusting God. As he got closer, he had to say, man, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm trusting you. Tell me to go. You're telling me to lay hands on a man that wants my life. I I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm trusting you. I don't know what I'm going to say when he comes to the door, but I'm trusting you, right? That's what it does. It grows us. It grows us. Here's the deal with these shocking invitations to service. Most of the time we look at them and say, boy, if I could just grow spiritually enough, then I'll do it. You don't grow into obedience. You grow from obedience. You don't grow into it. You grow from it. We grow from doing the thing God tells us to do. We grow from loving our neighbors. We grow from being generous. We grow from being in a small group. We, we grow from those things, not I got to have all of it stacked up and then I do it. Uh, what is it, 12 years now, maybe 13 years ago? I was in small town West Texas and God just felt it clear to go plant a church in South Austin. If you know South Austin, it is it is the furthest thing from the Christian South in the South, right? I mean, it's the furthest thing from it. And I remember going there, and for two and a half years, it was a grind. It was a grind. I, I drove a school bus trying to make it all work. We were meeting in whatever place we could find, pulling it together in a YMCA and then a golf country club on a Sunday morning and loving our neighbors and trying to do all of those things. And and I'm just going to tell you, after two and a half years, it was hard. It was crazy. It was shocking. Some of the stuff we learned, it was, I'll tell you this right now. There would be tons missing from me right now if I don't do that. There'd just be tons missing from me on this stage right now if I didn't do it. Tons. Because I grew out of it. I, I wasn't ready to do it, right? I just, God grew me so much in that. Sometimes we gotta step out, gotta jump into the shocking. We gotta sh- jump into that difficult so that we can grow. What does he do? Tail end of verse 17. Says he placed his hands on him, Saul, and said, Brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling on has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that first word? You can't tell me there hadn't been some growth in just a few short verses. What does he say? Brother. I don't know if brother's coming out of my mouth. I don't know if brother is the first thing I'm saying. I might be saying, Saul, I might be holding my hands out like that. I don't know how, I, I'm just for him to just get down there and call him a brother to recognize that whatever has happened to you, I don't understand it. I don't know it. I don't need to know it. I'm just trusting because that's what Jesus said, and I'm going to call you brother. And not only that, he never mentions his name. He said, Jesus Christ who shut up to you. And then he said, the Holy Spirit's fixing to do a work in you. Crazy, isn't it? That's growth. That's what happens when we jump into these. We begin to see God move. We begin to see what he's going to do, which leads me to the last couple of verses. Look at verse 18. It says, at once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Verse 20, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Can you imagine seeing that? Now, I know, like... I don't know how well you know your New Testament, but Saul, we're going to start calling him Paul, and really the rest of the book of Acts is about him, about him going from place to place and planting churches and telling people about Jesus. This guy, who was a murderer, changes. This guy's going to write a bulk of your New Testament. That's who this guy is. Can you imagine being there when Ananias pulls his hands off of him? And Paul stands up and something falls from his eyes, clicks on the floor. What would that have been like? Right? Like, and then he looks around. And then check this out. He says, I need to be baptized. The guy hasn't eaten in three days. And what does he want to do first? Get baptized. Can you imagine seeing Saul go into the water and somebody say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then pull him out? Can you imagine being there for that? Saul, the Apostle Paul, can you imagine being at his first sermon when he wanders into a synagogue and says, Jesus is the Son of God? Let me ask you this can you imagine missing it? Can you imagine missing it? Because you were too scared to go? Because you were too intimidated to get up? Because you were just too disappointed with the task to be a part? Can you imagine missing that? Can you imagine all the stuff we miss when we're scared? Can you imagine all the stuff we miss when we're intimidated? Can you imagine all the stuff we miss when we're just so shocked that we're like, I can't do that? And what are we missing? What are we missing? The life change, the conversations, the joy, the the growth, the development. What are we missing when we don't step in? Here's the other part of it. Like, it would have been great if Jesus would have looked at Ananias and told him the outcome and gave him complete clarity, but that's not what he did. Most of the time, we don't get clarity on it until you've stepped into it. You don't get clarity until the back end. Man, I... I just wonder, and I'm even, as I say it, I'm just like, how many times did I know I should have said something and I didn't? What did I miss? What did I miss? Those times that I knew I should have done this because God was tugging on my heart, what did I miss? What are we missing? So I'm just gonna ask you, what is it that God is asking you to do? What's he asking you to do? Maybe it's something he's been nudging you on for a couple of days. For some of us, it's a couple of weeks. For some of us, it's months. For some of us, it, it's just years. He's just, been, he's just been asking you. Are you scared? Are you intimidated? Just disappointed? What's keeping you from jumping in? What's keeping you from doing that? I don't want us to miss anything. Let's press into these moments, all right? It takes resilience It takes courage, and that's what we want to have. Let me pray that for us. Oh, Father, I, uh, man, as I say these words, I'm just replaying opportunities that, for whatever reason, I just let slip. I just let go by. I I just missed. I was weak. I, I lacked courage and resilience to, to be obedient. and Lord, I, I don't want to keep missing them. I, I want to find where you're moving and, and jump in on that, even when it's shocking. And then, Lord, I just say thank you that you would even include us in this, that you would let us be a part of your plan to share the gospel, that you would let us be a part of your plan to love our neighbors and to, and to be in biblical community and, and, and to serve others. Like, we get the chance to do this and and for that, we just say thanks. And just right where you're at before we, we take communion and remember what made all of this possible, the death, burial, and resurrection, I just ask you, what, what's he asking you to do? What's he asking of you? Is it so shocking that just that hadn't been able to process it, that you just been frozen? What's he asking? And then, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to ask that you just prompt us one more time. Just put it back on our hearts to, just to remind us that this is the step you want us to take. And God, I just pray for all of us to have the courage and the resilience and the endurance and the desire to be obedient so that we can have growth in our own lives and to see the scales fall off of others. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your son's name we pray.